Escape Pod 137 December 20th, 2007 Today's story, City Talkers, by Merle Lafferty. Hello and Merry Christmas from Escape Pod. I'm Steve Ely, and now that it's snow five days from Christmas, I'm finally noticing that it's coming up. I'll be honest, I tend to pretty much coast through this part of December. This year has been much busier than usual, for reasons having nothing to do with the holidays, and I've barely had time to pay attention. I think I've got the gifts and social obligations covered with some online clicking here and there when I rise out of my stupor. I'm not anti-holiday, although I'm pretty cynical about how much religious significance is left in most of it. But I do like the lights, and I like a lot of Christmas music. Granted, I like it just as much when I listen to it in July. What it all comes down to, I think, is tradition. There are wonderful things associated with Christmas, but there's no reason why peace on earth and goodwill to men, or even celebrating the birth of Christ, should be reserved for a particular day in December, except that it's traditional. The giving of presents is a tradition. Feeling joy on a grand scale is tradition. Traditions can be good or bad. In most cases, there's a very good reason why they got started, but it does help to think about what our traditions are and why we continue to do them. There may be traditions we find we don't have a good reason for ourselves, and if we don't care about them, we shouldn't let the world bully us into thinking we must care. On the upside, the ones we choose to uphold, we should uphold consciously, and with all the pride and fun that we can. On my own analysis, I believe having a two-year-old means Christmas, and the lights, and the music, and the joy, is one I'll stick with. So, here's an escape pod tradition. For the past two years, we've run Christmas stories by Mer Lafferty. If you don't know Mer, she's the genius behind the podcasts I Should Be Writing, Geek Fu Action Grip, Lulu TV's This Day in Alternate History, the Heaven series of patio books, and the new superhero patio book, Playing for Keeps. You can find links to all of those at merlafferty.com. And she's the former editor of Pseudopod. In 2005, we ran her story, Santa in My Pocket. And last year was Merry Christmas from the Heartbreakers. Murr contacted me a couple of months ago to tell me that this year she was writing a Christmas story specifically for Escape Pod. I said fantastic. If it was good, I look forward to buying it. Thus, our story this week is City Talkers by Murr Lafferty. It's a bit more fantasy than SF, but we'll continue to make exceptions from time to time, and a Murr Lafferty Christmas story tradition is a really good reason. Incidentally, Murr asked that her payment for this story be donated to Heifer International, a charity dedicated to finding sustainable solutions to end world hunger. You can find them at heifer.org. The story is read for us by Deborah Green, longtime friend of Escape Pod and a writer whose stories I hope you'll be hearing here soon. Today's forecast calls for partly cloudy skies and a 100% chance of story time. This city hates Christmas. The voice was male. Gloria took her eyes away from the television, which was playing her holly-trimmed evening's forecast for the two days before Christmas, and looked to her right at the bespeckled young man a couple of bar stools down. The Solstice Tavern had an occasional wacko, but was normally sedate, especially during this time of year. The only other patron in the bar this early evening was a woman dressed as an elf sitting alone in a booth presumably off work from the Santa shift, 
at Belk Department Store. She nursed a Miller Lite. Aren't you a little young to be grumbling about the holidays into your beer, she asked. That's the kind of thing an old man would do. You're new to the city, aren't you? Gloria glared at him. Nope. Born and bred Charlottean. She purposefully allowed the drawl that she so often struggled to remove. The man brightened, his hazel eyes widening behind his glasses. Excellent, because I'm new. Can I join you? Gloria hesitated but caught the eyes of Dennis, the bartender. He gave her a brief nod. He'd look after her. She shrugged. Sure. The man slid stepped to the stool beside her and extended his hand. She took it. It was cold from where he'd been cradling his Killians, but she took it strongly anyway. Television training. Always be on, always be charming. My name's Toby, he said. Gloria. He pointed to the television. That looks like you up there. Yes, I'm the chief meteorologist for WYTS. He grinned. I guess you are a hometown girl. She shrugged. You said you weren't from around here. Where are you from? The last place I lived for any amount of time was Boston. But for the holidays, there's nowhere that beats Cleveland. Now Cleveland, that is a city that loves Christmas. Gloria blinked. Why do the people in Cleveland love Christmas more than anywhere else? Toby grinned and spread his hands on the bar, unadorned fingers splayed. He stared at them. I didn't say Cleveland's people loved Christmas. I said Cleveland. And you're saying Charlotte doesn't like Christmas? Toby took a deep breath and let it out. Oh, no. I'm saying Charlotte flat out hates Christmas. Gloria kept her voice level, the best thing to do when dealing with a crazy person. And why do you think this? I'm an urban shaman, a city talker. I'm here to talk to Charlotte to find out why it's unhappy. Gloria nodded, then turned to Dennis, who was further down the bar and out of earshot. Dennis, I'm going to need another one. The nice thing about crazies was that most of them had excellent stories. If you had the patience to deal with the possibilities of body odor, conspiracy theories, and expectations of money or sex. And Toby didn't smell bad, nor did he blame the government. He paid for his own beer and didn't seem to be trying to get into her pants, so she listened to him. She liked a good wacko story from time to time, and it beat watching herself in the nightly news beam and talking about the highs and lows. So how does one study to be an urban shaman, she asked. You don't study. I don't know what does it. My father was a banker and was moved from big city to big city. When I was eight, my parents died while on vacation, food poisoning, and I was sent to live with my aunt in Townsend, a small town in Kansas. You know how you never realize you have something until you experience the lack of it? Well, small towns speak a different language than cities. I didn't know it then, of course. I discovered this only after I met a rural shaman, a town talker. I just knew I was lacking something in my life that had been there before. The presences I'd always taken for granted in the cities were gone in the towns. I was lonely. Never mind that I was an orphan in a new town. I was denied my best friends I never knew I had. Toby took a gulp from his fresh Killians and frowned a moment. He still had one hand splayed on the bar. I only applied to college in big cities, and once I got into NYU, I never looked back.
I still communicate with my aunt and fly her out to see me whenever I'm in Kansas City, but I don't go to small towns anymore. Gloria sipped at her third bottle, feeling good and drunk. This seemed to make way too much sense. Or maybe that was the unibrew terrible she was drinking. So now you just travel around trying to find unhappy cities? He looked at her and grinned, snapping out of his morose story. I have employers whose interests lie in keeping cities happy. Well, the world happy, really. They employ city talkers, town talkers, storm talkers. There are all sorts of talkers. In my case, they receive word about a city in trouble, and someone calls me. On rare occasions, the city itself calls me. Gloria laughed. Cities have your cell number? He didn't smile. No, they call me, and I hear them. Charlotte called me. She is unhappy. Gloria paused. Charlotte is a she? The Queen City? What do you think? And she's unhappy? Afraid so. Gloria slowly pushed the half-drunk bottle of Terrible away from her. You've hooked me. I'll play. How can she be unhappy? We're a huge banking town. NASCAR lives here. We've got nearly all the proteins in the state, except for hockey that's in Raleigh, and no one cares about that. We're the biggest city in the state. Doesn't matter. Are you proud of your heritage, Gloria? Of course I am. Then why do you mask your accent? Gloria opened her mouth and then closed it. Her desire to remove herself from the redneck, bigoted hicks she'd grown up with had also caused her to remove the accent that sounded like them. Her mentor in school had encouraged it, telling her that no one wanted a newscaster to have a heavy accent. Her parents had not been thrilled. You don't know what it's like, she protested. People hear a heavy accent and they assume you're not educated. It's not just Southern. Think of the Boston sound or the Midwest accent, don't you know? If you can have your hometown identified by your accent, you're considered stupid. It doesn't make sense, but there it is. Toby looked over his bottle. His eyes glimmered. Ah, but natives ashamed of their heritage isn't the only thing. How many residents of Charlotte are from other places? People who move here only for business. Banking pulls people in from all over. But I thought that city growth was good. People do not make a city any more than your blood makes you. However, you can't exist without your blood, and cities cannot exist without people. People who move here for business and end up hating the area is like giving someone a transfusion of blood with the wrong RH factor. The body will shut down. It must have been the beer. He was starting to make sense. Okay, let's say you're right. Give me an example of a sick city. Detroit, he's dying of anemia. He's hemorrhaging his population except for people who can't leave because they can't sell their property. Those people are forced to stay and end up miserable. Detroit could do with a transfusion. Gloria rubbed her face with her hands and pulled her beer bottle back into easy reaching distance. She rubbed her thumb over the moisture on the neck and took a drink. Okay, let's move on. Why does me hiding my accent make Charlotte hate Christmas? Toby put his hand on her shoulder and smiled sympathetically. Oh, it's not just you. It's everyone. Everything. Look at it this way. Let's go back to the city as person metaphor. Only rarely can a single cell hurt a city. Whatever your unhappiness, whatever you are hiding, 
You are but a cell. However, if a lot of you are the same, you represent one part of a whole. And if that whole becomes bigger, you get to be like a cancer to your city, and the city begins to sicken. Since ethnic and other kinds of cleansing are unattractive to human society, we can't cut the cancer out. So since we can't operate, the city has to heal itself. How does a city heal? Gloria had an absurd idea of a huge skyscraper-sized band-aid stretching over a gaping wound in the city. You'd be surprised what cities are capable of, he said, looking at her empty beer bottle. The thing to remember is that what is best for the city may not be best for the people inside. Sometimes the good flesh gets cut out with the bad. Other times the city goes overboard and really messes things up. Something cut through Gloria's drunkenness. New Orleans. What happened there? Toby grimaced. You're quicker than I thought. I don't know what was wrong with Nola. So many personalities, such dichotomy. She was, well, the closest approximation to human conditions I could use would be manic depressive. She gleefully called for people to fill her, to forget their lives within her, much like Vegas. But she also reveled in her mythology and her history, and despite this, she was filled with such unhappy poor people. I think the storm was typical for her. She went overboard whatever she was trying to do. We may never figure out what that was. Gloria barely heard him. She lost focus as she remembered that week, watching Katrina. They'd called her the great bitch in the WYTS offices, barrel towards New Orleans. How she'd stayed up all night watching the radar, praying. She had experienced a small moment of bittersweet satisfaction when the great bitch was downgraded to a Cat 4 storm, but that made little difference at that stage. Something had broken inside her that day, and remained broken throughout the post-storm coverage. She wondered if that something had ever healed. Gloria, are you all right? She blinked and sniffled, taking the wet napkin from under her beer and wiping the tear that had escaped from her eye. She shook her head a moment and shot him her best television smile. I'm fine. Sorry. Bad memories from the meteorology standpoint. So, can cities control the weather? He shook his head. Not necessarily. Cities can suggest. They suggest to storm fronts. They suggest to other cities. They can even use people as their catalysts, you know, to cut the cancer out of them. Gloria's mind was aflame with every citywide disaster she'd heard of. San Francisco's earthquakes, fires, mudslides, floods. Were they all cases of cities trying to heal? You haven't answered my question yet. What does Christmas have to do with anything? Christmas is a high time for suicides, Gloria. I'm here to keep Charlotte from killing herself. Gloria wasn't sure how the topic went from Charlotte to personal stories, but she found herself telling Toby's stories, defending herself as a good cell. She had once spent Christmas in Cleveland with a boyfriend. She had felt out of sorts, as her own family had approached Christmas with comfortable casualness. Well, they had before the divorce, anyway. His family took to Christmas as if it were the weekly wash, not particularly pleasant, somewhat dreaded, but by God it had to be done. The family assembled, smiled, pretended to like each other, and on Boxing Day, they all complained about how dreadful it had been. When she stepped outside to go to a midnight church service with the family, 
She'd felt the air freeze the tears at the corners of her eyes. She'd blinked and looked up. The sky was a clear, star-speckled wonder. As her boyfriend's uncle had grumbled at a busted streetlight, she had marveled at the beauty of the sky, even in a city. For a moment, just a moment, she recaptured the feelings she'd felt as a girl, the pure anticipation and wonder of Christmas. She grinned. It felt lopsided. Now that was totally corny, I know. If I were more sober, I'm sure I'd be embarrassed. And then, right after I got a cold-induced asthma attack, my boyfriend smashed that kneeling thingy into my shins at Mass, and then he gave me a cheap necklace for Christmas. Back to reality, I guess. But that one moment was perfect. It was like I was seven again. Dennis delivered a large glass of water to her. She hadn't remembered asking for it, but she gulped some gratefully. Toby was staring at her, his hazel eyes unreadable behind his glasses, which reflected the television. Is that what you feel? That connection? Toby sighed and looked down at his hand, still wide open on the bar. Something like that. I think you're done, Gloria. You should go home. Can I get you a cab? The bus stop is down the block on the corner, Dennis said, placing their tab in front of them. Toby nodded to him and paid the bill. They exited the bar together and stood outside. Gloria pulled her light coat around her, but Toby seemed comfortable in his long T-shirt. You take the bus, he asked. They don't pay you enough at the television station to drive? She shrugged. I know what pollution does to the weather patterns. I don't want to contribute more than I have to. I'll bet the other riders are happy to ride with the television personality. She laughed, except when they blame me for the weather. Toby walked her to the bus stop. She walked stiffly, trying not to stumble. Charlotte is depressed, Gloria. Have you ever seen a depressed friend enjoy Christmas? Gloria thought of one depressive friend who spent all Christmas Day in bed, despite arguing time and again that it was just another day. Another friend who gave herself a bottle of bourbon for Christmas every year. No, I guess not. The enforced joy of the holidays drives many people the other way. Charlotte is on the path toward destruction. I'm here to keep that from happening. How? Toby just smiled at her then, Christmas lights glinting off his glasses. I'll figure something out. Is this your bus? Gloria nodded as the bus pulled up and pursed her lips together as the elf from the bar pushed in front of her to get onto the bus. Alcohol wafted strongly from the woman as she muttered, Excuse me. Gloria's dreams were troubled that night. She drifted on a low-pressure front, high in the atmosphere, carefree and relaxed. As she amused herself, whisked by the whims of the wind, she began to get the feeling of something whispering to her. Actually, it wasn't even whispering. It was more like she was beginning to get ideas that didn't feel as if they were her own. In the bizarre dream world, floating above the clouds and watching the different high and low fronts collide, watching the clouds form and dissipate, those were all perfectly normal. However, ideas formed in her head. Times, street names, faces of hardened men, and something that seemed like a perfectly logical idea. This would fix everything that was broken. This would heal all the wounds. Gloria tried to ignore the ideas and continued to drift, delighting in the freedom. 
She discovered that she could tweak the fronts here and there to create different weather patterns. Did Fort Lauderdale want a white Christmas? Suddenly she could clearly see what she needed to do to make that happen. She reached out a hand to give the low front a boost. She woke up with a start, eyes flying open in the dark. The beer taste remained on her tongue, even though she had drunk about half a gallon of water and brushed her teeth that night. She hated being on TV with a hangover. She glanced at the clock. 3.59. Sighing, she reached over and cut her alarm off before it could start blaring at four, and lumbered toward the shower to begin her day. Her dream was quickly forgotten in the fog of steam, and the hot water put the hangover at bay for the moment. She made it to the bus stop with little more on her mind than her headache, work, and the latest weather patterns. As the bus grumbled toward her, she pulled her light coat around her and shivered. She was grateful to climb into the heated interior of the bus. "'Morning, Gloria,' said Rosie, a clerk at the local food lion. "'We gonna get a white Christmas this year?' She laughed. The black gap where her two front teeth should have been glistened. Gloria knew what Rosie wanted for Christmas. Gloria forced her television smile, even though she heard the question umpteen times during the Christmas season. Rosie, when was the last time you remember a white Christmas in Charlotte? Rosie laughed and said, Well, it don't hurt an old woman to hope, now does it? Gloria cast her eye to the sky, still inky black in the wee hours, and imagined she could feel the pressure fronts again, swirling around, bumping into each other, deciding on rain or snow high temps or a barometric drop. No, it doesn't hurt to hope. They remained silent for the rest of the ride, Rosie only speaking up to say, Give us some good weather, Gloria, as the bus stopped on the corner near WYTS-TV. Gloria nodded to her, flashed her best television smile, and exited. The chilly early morning street was empty, save for a white two-door Honda Civic parked about a block away. Gloria squinted through the fuzzy streetlight. Was someone behind the wheel? She took a step closer to investigate, something nattering in the back of her mind, but a blast of icy wind distracted her, and she shivered violently. It was definitely colder. This hadn't been in the forecast. She thought again of the bigger-than-cities clouds that should not have been amassing in the sky, and thought she could feel them gathering. She needed to look at her computer. She shook her head and waved her badge in front of the door, waved to Mary, the night security guard, and hurried to the elevator. Once at her computer, she brought up some information from the weather satellite and stared at the screen. That's not really possible. A low-pressure system that had been destined for the Great Lakes region, a mighty thing preparing to dump snow from Michigan to Buffalo, had dipped drastically into South Carolina, as if someone had thrown a great hook at it and pulled. The problem was, there was already a high-pressure system in the south. Low pressure plus high pressure plus December equals classic blizzard conditions. Gloria took a deep breath, stood up from her desk, and headed for makeup, calling for the station manager to follow her. Oh, the dance of the optimist, she thought. The show had to go on despite the fact they had no idea why the weather was doing what it was doing, or how bad it could be. Still, she stood in front of her green screen, made up, quaffed, and smiling widely. Her practiced ease in front of the camera pushed her hangover to the background of her mind, 
and she felt ready to present the news to an unsuspecting Charlotte. The city that hates Christmas, she suddenly reminded herself, and thought of Toby for the first time that morning. Her welcoming smile didn't falter as she extended her hand toward the U.S. map. Believe it or not, folks, Santa Claus may need Rudolph this year as far south as Charlotte, as an unexpected cold front has swooped down on us. The cold front colliding with all that warm air that gave us such nice weather yesterday is going to bring us in some winter weather. It's possible we can expect blizzard conditions in the next 24 to 48 hours. This means sustained winds at 35 miles per hour or higher and lots of blowing snow. She continued to speak, using words familiar to her lips, winter weather advisory, and once it starts snowing, stay off the roads unless you have to. Only, when she said it in the past, they were expecting a couple of inches. This time, it was feet. Still, as she spoke the words, her thoughts did not seep through to her smiling face. Thoughts like, it's impossible, or at least improbable that this could happen. And I could lose my job for missing this. And people are going to die. This city hates Christmas? Well, it's going to get a white one whether it likes it or not. After her three-minute spot, Gloria walked past the phone center where startled interns from UNC Charlotte answered calls of a city in disbelief. She felt sorry for them, taking a hundred bullets for her from a population who blamed meteorologists for the weather. Back in her office, she stared at her computer again. The television next to her tuned to the Weather Channel. Her colleagues, including Bryce Klingman, who was in her graduating class and scored a Boston job, were reacting to the news just as she was, which was a small relief. This wasn't something that had caught only her off guard. She was one of many weather experts flummoxed by it. Outside, the streetlights shone on fat, drifting flakes. It was starting. Gloria stood, looking down on the street below, caught up in the brief beauty of it, before it got deep, before cars began to skid and slam into each other, before people froze to death. But right then, as the snow had not yet begun to stick, it was beautiful. It pulled at her. Something pulled at her, and she wanted nothing more than to go outside. Gloria? We're going to preempt programming this morning because of the storm. We'll need you here, Eric, her station manager, said behind her. She nodded, not looking at him. The Honda Civic still sat in the street. Yeah. Hey, I'm going to Starbucks. Do you want anything? Eric didn't answer right away. Gloria had her coat half on when he finally sputtered. Did you not hear me? This is huge. We need you here. Get coffee from the break room if you need it. But don't leave. Gloria shook her head. Sure, right. I'm going outside for a smoke, then. You don't smoke. Then air. Am I allowed to have air? God, but her head was buzzing. She couldn't clear it. She had to get out. She grasped onto reality and said, Look, Eric, I need five minutes. This is huge, and I need my wits about me. Just five minutes. He sighed and waved her through the door, and then stomped the opposite direction down the hall. She hit the stairs at a run, not willing to wait for the elevator. She didn't really understand what was going on. The man in the car was brusque and matter-of-fact. He passed her the bag with the gun and explained how to use it. He passed her a paper bag full of money. He said something about how it had to be done on air, live. 
He explained something about something unfair about the government, or maybe about God. Gloria wasn't sure. He sped off and Gloria was left in the street, staring at the black duffel in her hand, and her head filled with her task. You'd be surprised what cities are capable of. The task of going back inside, putting on her beautiful television smile, getting on camera, and then holding her co-workers hostage. She had to demand something. It really didn't matter what, and then the day would end bloody. Kill as many people as possible, ending with herself. The thing to remember is that what is best for the city may not be best for the people inside. Sometimes the good flesh gets cut with the bad. A fat snowflake fell on her exposed nape, and she gasped. She hadn't realized her head was bent down, hadn't felt the tears drip from her eyes. Her feet felt cemented in place, her hand molded to the duffel bag that contained the destruction of herself and her colleagues. She couldn't imagine doing the thing that had appeared in her mind. She was not a killer. She was not even violent. She loved her co-workers, had never had a serious beef with the government, and was, at best, a very lapsed Lutheran. There was no good reason to do this horrible thing. She couldn't imagine not doing it. The wind plucked at her and she shivered. The snow began falling in earnest, and her hands and ears burned with cold. It had to be in the teens by now. A hand fell on her shoulder. It was Toby. The urban shaman's face was creased with worry. Charlotte needs a catalyst, Gloria. I thought it might be you. What has she asked you to? He didn't have a chance to finish. She lashed out with energy she didn't know she had and punched him hard in the stomach. As he fell to his knees, doubled over, she rooted around in the bag and found the gun. Come on, let's go inside, she heard herself say. As the stairwell door slammed behind them, the wind began to howl. No one noticed them as they headed toward her office. Too many people were on the phones, calling in other reporters and camera operators to do field reports, taking calls from around the area, or just staring at the television, or out the window in shock. They made it to her office. Panting heavily and regaining his breath, Toby made no move to resist her. He walked in front of her, gun pressed to his back. Gloria slammed her door and checked her watch. She still had trouble focusing. Five minutes till airtime. Toby nodded. A live, on-air hostage situation. That one is clever. Don't flatter me. Her voice fell flat to her ears. He was so smug, so smart. She'd pulled him here to take him along with some of her more irritating citizens. She hated urban shamans. No. Gloria hadn't met Toby until last night. She'd never heard of city talkers until last night. God, her head hurt. Toby laughed without smiling, a bitter sound. Gloria, I'm not flattering you. You're a backseat driver at this point. Charlotte is pushing you to do this. I guess I shouldn't be surprised that she's lashing out at me. Gloria felt herself sit down and cross her legs. So you aren't going to beg or try to talk me out of it? The yawning chasm of despair, anguish, and rage seemed tinged with curiosity here, and Gloria was nearly fascinated watching from the back seat of her consciousness. He smiled kindly at her. Why would I do that? This is how cities heal themselves. You aren't nice. 
You can't be reasoned with. You have Gloria and you won't let her go. You're going to kill me and likely several other people. And then very likely Gloria, after a lengthy, frightening hostage situation, broadcast to half the state. The population will be shocked. Christmas will be quite the subdued affair. And for years after, they'll remember the anniversary of the Christmas Eve slaughter at WITS, making them appreciate their lives, their families, and their city a little more. I'm actually a little relieved that you aren't trying to kill yourself. The terrible path in front of Gloria seemed inevitable. Charlotte's rage was inexplicable and all-encompassing, but something else pulled at her. Was it a cooler head? Was she fighting the drive of the city? Toby was talking. She shook her head, failing to clear it, but tried to concentrate on him anyway. I have one question, though. What's with this crazy weather? Have you ever had a blizzard? No, of course not. Snow, yes. Ice storms. But not a proper blizzard. Then why today? Charlotte opened Gloria's mouth to retort, but closed it and looked outside. The sun had lightened the gray sky, but visibility was poor due to the driving wind and snow. Gloria's hand, Gloria's, not Charlotte's, tightened on the gun, and the wind gusted, shaking the building. She relaxed, and it died down. I... Toby stared at her. Do that again. She tensed, and the wind howled in response. A meteorologist who's a storm talker. I had no idea. No wonder she chose you as the catalyst, Toby said. You're already tuned to the larger world. You were easy to tap into. But Gloria, you can resist her. She doesn't need you to kill people. She just needs your storm. Charlotte shook Gloria's head. You're full of shit. Gloria, however, did not need to push the city to move her eyes to the window and the unusual weather, the impossible weather. Gloria's phone intercom blipped to life. Gloria, on air in one, get out here. Charlotte gestured with the gun. It's time, Toby. Let's go. Toby shrugged. Charlotte put the gun in her pocket and motioned for him to move in front of her. The building shook with the storm. After putting Toby securely by the camera woman, Charlotte stepped in front of the camera, and Gloria's TV personality slid into place. The red light in the camera flipped on, and she began talking again about reports, highs, lows, and pressure. One more minute. As the screen switched from her to someone in the snowy field outside of the Duke Energy power station, Charlotte closed Gloria's hand around the gun. Toby stood by the camera woman, unmoving, not trying to get away at all. Doesn't have to be this way. The wind howled. It screamed. It battered at the building, and people too well trained to make noise in the set glanced at each other with wild eyes. Gloria felt a strange familiarity. She knew what to do. She knew where to push. Charlotte's, or were they Gloria's, eyes went to the monitor again, and she watched alongside millions of others as a pine tree behind the reporter fell over and hit the power station. The studio went dark, the power outage killing the live feed. Charlotte's hand relaxed as the wind howled. Power lines snapped, snow drifted, emergency crews, power company employees, and hospital employees scrambled to serve, to help. Snowplow drivers assembled, as Gloria urged the storm to rage harder, she could feel these people within the miserable city, moving because of duty, responsibility, altruism. She could see with the storm, 
She was the storm and could only dimly sense Toby's hand on her arm as he carefully disarmed her in the dark. Toby's voice was warm in her ear. Let it go. Let Gloria's storm do what it needs to do. She can heal you. Don't do this. Let your people gather against nature, not view senseless bloodshed. Gloria's body sagged, and she gasped as she left her storm and returned to her body, alone. Her co-workers still scrambled in the dark to get their generators up, to get back on the air. She grasped at Toby's sweater. Take the gun. Throw it away. I don't care where. He put his hand on her cheek, there in the dark. Good work, Gloria. I'll be in touch. Ten months later, Gloria looked up into the Ethiopian sky, where puffy clouds darkened briefly. She smiled. She'd been working with Heifer International to help drought-ridden areas, but storm-talking wasn't as easy as she had been led to believe. Still, things were going better. She did most of her work in areas that needed rain, but Toby's employers, now her employers, and she still knew next to nothing about them, sometimes flew her to areas where they simply needed her to understand the weather or prevent something. Sometimes she succeeded, sometimes she didn't. Sometimes she would talk with Toby about the cities involved, their desires, and the rather large ethical questions. Weather, unlike cities, had little personality. Weather was chaos. Like a toddler, it could be coaxed, but like a toddler, it could snap and begin screaming. She still had pangs of guilt in realizing what could happen if she allowed, or didn't allow, something to happen. Were the deaths her fault? Did she ruin lives? Toby patiently told her time and again of what could happen with alternatives and how their jobs were to get as close to serving humans as well as they could. Some days I feel like a god. Other days I feel like a politician, she'd said to him one afternoon in the NC Outer Banks, diverting a hurricane away from the coast, but knowing that it would later hit Cape Cod. Now, concentrating on the little clouds that teased her, Gloria felt just like a woman with a job. She liked those feelings the best. Her satellite phone rang and she pulled it from her pocket. Hey, Southern girl, Toby said. I just got word about a trip the employers want us to take. What are you doing in December? I should be done with this irrigation project by then. Why? Was wondering if you wanted to go home for Christmas. Gloria paused. Charlotte? Really? Really. They're going to be memorials, retrospectives, and honoring of heroes. W.Y.T.S. wants you back for an appearance. Gloria waited. Toby sighed. And she wants to see you, too. Are you sure? Positive. I think she wants to apologize. How do cities apologize? Didn't I just say they want to honor you? The meteorologist who spent 36 hours on air to support the community? and then went to the homeless shelter to help out with Christmas festivities and delivering generators and heaters. As I always say, you'd be surprised what cities are capable of. Gloria looked up. The clouds were definitely darkening. She teased the pressure fronts a little more and returned her attention to the phone. I wasn't a hero. I did what I had to do. We've been over this. Are you coming home or not? Gloria laughed out loud, surprising herself. All right, but we're not having a white Christmas. I don't care what Charlotte wants. And that was our story. 
You know, I'm really quite charmed by the idea of cities with personalities. I won't speculate too much on how my home city of Atlanta would be personified. Probably female, and in serious denial about her age. I want to keep this outro short so that I can sleep off this cold before my Christmas travel starts. But we need to do feedback for our story from several weeks ago, Cory Doctorow's venture capital techno art piece, Other People's Money. Luckily, I can summarize the feedback very briefly this time. People hated it. More specifically, the story itself got mixed reviews. Some folks loved it, such as Cecilia, who, as a female entrepreneur, felt the story paralleled her life. Others thought it fell flat for them. But the reading got near-universal rejection, with many people saying they couldn't finish listening. Amanda Fitzwater's New Zealand accent had both admirers and critics, but the speed of the reading and the audio quality as a whole turned a lot of people off. Mercea had the strongest comment on it. Quote, I think the story was for escape pod what absolute zero is for temperature. You can't get any worse. On the other hand, it really got me to appreciate, by antithesis of course, all the good stories and nice readings that I've heard on Escape Pod before. Now, I'm not going to leap into the fray here and defend the audio, and I'm not going to bore people with a complete story of what went into the production that week. All I will say is, you're right, there were significant issues with that episode. The blame does not fall on Amanda Fitzwater, who did an excellent job stepping up on short notice, and I'd love to have her read a story again sometime. It falls on me, because the podcast production is my responsibility. We did poorly that week, well below our own standards, and I'll do my best to make sure our quality stays better from here on. Escape Pod is distributed on a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 license. Please share it with your friends, but don't change it or sell it. If you like us, please blog about us. However, donations are closed through the end of December. We urge you to give to your favorite charity instead. Also check out our horror podcast, Pseudopod, and you can buy collectible CDs and DVDs of both podcasts at poddisc.com. Our music is by permission of Daikaiju. Our closing music, just like last year, because I like it, is O Come All Ye Faithful by Twisted Sister, courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network. Maybe we'll make that a tradition too. We'll see you next week. Until then, Merry Christmas to all, and to all have good fun.